This is the Business Central Manufacturing Show, and I am Martin Karlovich. Hi folks, today I'm with AJ Ansari from the US. AJ is Chief Operating Officer with Dynamics Southwest from Houston, Texas. However, more than that, he's a Dynamics credentialed professional DCP with 12 years of experience in the Microsoft Dynamics channel. He has led and built a profitable NAV practice from the ground up, specializes in pre-sales and product management, and has a strong record of selling and advising industrial manufacturers and service business in the SMB space. AJ is passionate about the Microsoft Dynamics community and serves as a volunteer in various leadership advisory and committee roles with NAVUC, IMCP, Dynamics Credential Professionals, and Directions North America. He has been recognized as a Microsoft Most Valued Professional MVP, the NAVOC All-Star, and received the Direction North America 2017 Under 40 Excellence Award. He has been invited to speak as a subject matter expert on technical sales and real-world topics at numerous conferences. He regularly leads educational webinars on Dynamics NAV and Dynamic 365, and writes content for his blog and well-known online and print publications in the Microsoft Dynamics channel. AJ, this is really impressive and tells a lot of how you care for networking and community work. I am delighted that you followed my invitation to join me for the Business Central Manufacturing Show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Martin. It's a, it's a pleasure being here as well. Two years ago, actually, I saw that you wrote an article on Microsoft Dynamics World in which you asked the question, are Microsoft Dynamics SMB partners ready for life in the SaaS era? Now, I'd like to give this question a new spin and ask you, are manufacturing companies ready for life in the SaaS era? You know, that's a very good question, Martin. Last year, we were in a sales cycle with a uh, local Houston-based energy services company, and they're, they're manufacturing and they're doing professional services and um, with, with projects. And that was a stumbling point. I think they were early on convinced that Business Central in general was the right product and that we were the right partner. But it took them quite a bit of convincing that uh, SaaS was, or Business Central and the SaaS model was fully baked. I think traditionally people have leveraged an on-premise solution because inside the shop floor, uh, there's not always reliable connectivity. I think sometimes uh, as we bridge past that point of connectivity and we get better at it, there's still the perception that uh, SaaS solutions are probably not ready uh, to operate at scale for large manufacturers. Uh, I will tell you uh, anecdotally, and perhaps with a little bit of evidence as well, that last year, uh, our expectations for SaaS sales were completely surpassed by what the actuals were. We still thought that there would be quite a bit of perpetual sales and some SaaS sales with uh, our traditional size manufacturers. But by and large, um, every single one in 2019 was a SaaS sale except for one. In 2020, uh, we just finished a very large deal or closed a very large deal, which is going to start implementing. They, however, did end up going the on-premise model. So I think in short, Martin, the, to, the answer to your question is, Manufacturers are a little cautious, but I think they're still proceeding in the SaaS model. There will be some organizations that are not quite ready yet, but by and large, I think the, the, there's greater acceptance for SaaS in all industries, including manufacturing. So where does this increasing 
acceptance come from? So what do you see as the driver behind now also manufacturing companies more and more turning to SaaS offerings to run their business on? Because ERP is their backbone. And so what is changing that, that also, like you said, the more conservative manufacturers now increasingly get into the SaaS world? I think on, on, on the one hand, it is the fact that the internet or access to the internet is becoming ubiquitous. I mean, it, that might sound a little backwards. We, we, we have all had the internet for a long period of time, but I think commercial uh, internet for businesses has become fast, has become reliable. I think just improvements in technology there, improvements across within a business where uh, you would have good internet connectivity in the back office, but when you went to the shop floor or the warehouse, you would have uh, basically a Faraday cage and lack of connectivity. Activity, I think we're seeing greater uh, leaps and bounds of improvement in those uh, in those areas. I think that is really helping. Um, I think the other part of it is also financially driven, Martin. It's uh, if you consider the fact that going the SaaS model uh, allows businesses to keep a lot of that capital expenditure and essentially invest in a more of an opex spend. Uh, I think it's your CFOs, your CIOs are looking at that equation, and I think it's just. It's that the financial side of the business also driving this this purchasing decision. It may not necessarily be coming from the shop floor. As long as it is serviceable and works for the shop floor and the manufacturing aspect of the business, I, I think we will continue to see more investment in SaaS and more investment or more purchasing on the SaaS model because it's it's just more financially feasible. Then when it is financially driven and they are moving investment to, to uh, OPEX, do you also see that there is a kind of correlation between implementation time when it is an on-prem implementation and when they just virtually kick it off from Microsoft Azure? So is there also, is there a changing notion in terms of getting up and running faster or are project cycle times still comparable? For our traditional SMB, uh, lower mid-market size customers, I think the project sizes and timelines remain unchanged. There is, of course, some savings in uh, not having to install uh, Dynamics Nav or now Dynamics 365 Business Central on a server. Uh, the, the work that goes into setting up the infrastructure, certainly there are some savings there, but I would say um, that they are probably within you know, plus minus uh, 10%. By and large, I would say that the, the those SMB mid-market, lower mid-market, market customers are spending the same on projects. What is happening, however, is we are seeing a lot of businesses that would traditionally still continue to operate on QuickBooks Manufacturing Edition or another one of those entry level or tier three type of solutions. We're finding that those businesses are starting to show a desire or interest to scale up to a solution like Business Central because it's very uh, attractively priced because it is a true SaaS solution. Those businesses, however, do not have the same budget as our traditional clients. They are definitely driving the prices down uh, from implementation services as well. I think every single time a customer like that uh, knocks on our door, and I, I assume that this is true for some of the other partners as well, when they knock on your doors, I think you have to make a decision. Is this a project that you're willing to take on? How much of manufacturing best practices and standardization can you apply for, for savings and budget? And um, at what point is it simply not feasible to take on that project and you have to pass on it? So uh, I think that bottom of the market is, is kind of bringing this upswell. And some of those customers that are coming are, are, are the ones who are effectively trying to get the paradigm to shift. That's that's interesting how you how you segment the market and how you look at this as the bottom of the market on the one hand and on the other hand the typical SMB customers that you used to serve in the past and when I hear you saying that for for those manufacturing customers that are structurally wise 
similar to those that you have been selling in the past, that the project and the timelines remain unchanged, independent if they are now on-prem or in the cloud, then to me, this reads as if the level of subject matter expertise that these companies require is unchanged. So it is just a different way of consuming the technology of using the ERP system, but they still do not come to you as, as being the technology provider, but they come to you as the domain expert and as the consultant to help them improve with their processes. Is this a fair statement? It is. I think it's a very fair statement. I would say if you're looking at a manufacturer, uh, you 20 million, $25 million annual revenue. One of the reasons they start looking at a new solution is because whatever solution they have today in place, uh, they've probably reached the ends of it. They've probably exhausted everything that they could do with just tribal knowledge. You know, keeping all that information on the, uh, the, the magic sauce of your business in somebody's head. They know what they're doing well. They know what they're doing poorly but sometimes they either need help on knowing how they can do those things better, the one things that they're doing poorly, or they'd like to understand what other competitors and peers in that space are doing. So I think those are some of the areas where we are where you're asked to provide a lot of consulting effort in the project. And that's where the value comes from. The smaller customer, the very small customers that, that are coming to us from QuickBooks, Martin, we find they want all of that, but they don't have the budget. So now it is up to us to create, I think finally I thought of a better word. I said a lot of words before, but we have to find a prescriptive solution as, a, as opposed to a consultative solution for them. I think maybe that, that's a good way to summarize uh, that, that solution, that situation. So a prescriptive solution would come with prepackaged apps, with prepackaged best practices, with prepackaged processes, and where you have a higher degree of your consulting and implementation work. What kind of facets of your overall work would qualify for being turned into something prescriptive? I think configuration of, of business central. I think some of the some of the discussions that normally go into sitting in front of a customer in your offices or remotely. And, and going over how we're going to configure Business Central, how we're going to configure production setups, order promising, you know, the the inventory replenishment. I think some of those things are probably what we would do as, as more prescriptive. Uh, maybe inventory replenishment is a reach, but at least the other things that I was talking about, where we would want to go in with a preset configuration of the system, perhaps uh, even borrowing from what Microsoft's doing with Business Central's, what do they call it these days, the production suite or the suite production uh, deployment method, where they already have a chart of accounts and some of the underlying core setups in the essentials area. We might want to do the same with production and manufacturing. Lead with that, and then after the first, after the implementation is completed, as a business grows, maybe we go through iterative improvements in those configurations and so on until they see optimal results, but at least hit the ground running first with the core setup so that we're not spending 50, 20, you know, 50, 100, 200 hours uh, just trying to go over any of those processes with the customer. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So now we have kind of drilled down in some of the details of how you help these lower market customers. Let's get some flight height again, so to say. And, you know, when I prepared for this interview, I actually looked up your most recent tweets. And uh, from there, I sensed that you seem to be super passionate about football. 
and I mean that kind of football that you Americans call football. I have to admit, I have no clue about that sort of football, but I sense that it is a very, very strategic team sport. Let's set money aside, which always plays a big role in these team sports. But I assume that in a strategic team sports, those teams win that are able to rapidly adopt the new strategy when then react to what is happening on the pitch. So the question is, what can a manufacturer actually learn from a successful football team? I think uh, you, you've explained, you've put that question in a very nice type of setup for me. I think a word that gets used in football often is situational football. So you have some really good coaches out there and, uh, you know, before the game starts, they will have a game plan and, and they follow a certain game plan and an overarching set of tactics that fall under the scope of their larger strategy for uh, how, this, how the season or the game is going to play out. But at times, as the game starts to go on, as you said, it's a very different game compared to the football that you watch, Martin, or I've grown up watching that other one too, soccer, as we call it here, uh, in that I think from play to play, you have an opportunity to assess and decide what are you going to do now? And sometimes you base that on uh, some two or three previous plays and how the opposing team has reacted to your plays and you do the things that work best or you avoid the things that have not worked or you sometimes use the element of surprise. So... Uh, going back to situational football, I think for manufacturers, I think there's a lot to be learned from that situational aspect. Um, I think one uh, one part of it is coming into play now. Consider the fact that we've got, in, uh, you know, with the COVID-19, with the novel coronavirus, we've got a wide arching impact on the industry. We have some manufacturers who are struggling because the raw materials that they import, they're not able to get them. Uh, some manufacturers are struggling because your workforce is either grounded or they have to work with a limited workforce. I think we're, we're also finding that sales numbers are dropping for some manufacturers. So I think, how do you reinvent the way you do business in such a situation. There's no perfect answer, but um, I would say that for some manufacturers, what we have seen is they do have some very considerate policies that they've placed into, put into place. One of our uh, customers that specializes in refrigeration systems, they were telling us that you know they have done some very interesting steps. They have uh, you know, they have made sure that there's a certain amount of space between each work center and machine center. They have limited the number of people that will work at each machine center and work center. They have obviously always been using N95 masks because they've had to, they work with fine wood and they, they do a lot of wood chipping and so on. So as we get into this type of situation, I think the manufacturers are trying to find ways to continue to adhere to policy, but also you know, keep up production. They do well. Some others are probably going to realize that instead of doing some more manufacturing steps here in the United States, it may be more prudent to buy more of that raw material and look at the last mile processing, right? Do the final steps of, of assembly or the final steps of of your production in-house and do the bulk of it uh, from a subcontractor or from another location. Just a couple of little things that come to mind, but situational football, situational manufacturing, uh, I think that's what comes into play here. I really love the phrase of situational football. I'm in soccer here in, in Germany. And actually, I'm, I'm on the team of the soccer coaches of my youngest son team. And I think when we are allowed to play again, then uh, I will steal your phrase and talk about situational football, situational soccer here. And I think I will have some time now to think about strategies that we can train the young kids. But it's definitely interesting to transfer this from sports to manufacturing. And you saw, you had the example with the with your customers or what, what you 
you heard is that they make dedicated space between the work centers and the machine centers. We have a company here in Germany and they are one of the smaller brands who produce sports clothes. And they, in, in one week's time, they reacted to this the, to the new situation and they stopped producing sports clothes and started producing protection masks. So this is also a kind of way of, of situational manufacturing then. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. I saw the Formula One teams that are mostly, I think a lot of European-based Formula One teams are building ventilators. Uh, you're correct. I completely didn't even think about it as you're Great point, Martin. Yeah, so actually, now that we are talking about what's going on with the coronavirus, what would be the final recommendation that you would want to give to a manufacturing company? What what could they do now? What should they do now in terms of keeping the lights on, but also preparing for the phase after? Well, Martin, I'd probably have them borrow a page from your book. There are certain things that are in our control, and there are certain things that are not in our control, right? And I think uh, it's prudent to accept the things that are outside of our control and then look for ways we can maximize the time available to us within our control and then strategically look to improve on the other side of this uh, problem. Harvard Business Review has a, uh, I think, a paper that you can download. It's, it's called Roaring Out of Recession. And I'm actually in the process of reading it. I haven't fully gone through all of it. But um, it, the, the central premise of that, uh, that paper is that businesses can act a variety of ways when posed with a, a recession or a recession-like situation that we're in right now because of the coronavirus, right? It's affecting our business, our ability to produce, our ability to maximize uh, efficiency within our workforces. So what do you do? Some businesses react by shutting down or letting go of uh, you know, whoever they deem as surplus to their needs. According to HBR, those businesses usually come out the worst on the other side of a, of a recession or the other side of a situation like this. Uh, there are some businesses who will continue to uh, just present business as normal, continue with your spend and so on. There's a 50-50 chance that they will do okay or th that they will not survive as well. The ones that survive are the ones who take this period of downturn and try to come up with new strategic plays, new products, new services if you're a services-based industry, new products if you're a manufacturer. Uh, as you said, you know, uh, you gave the idea of producing ventilators, producing masks or other things that are useful in the economy using the know-how and the uh, infrastructure they have in place, or possibly even using this to improve their processes. And this selfishly plays into uh, what uh, we at DSWI or other peers in the ERP world uh, do, which is use this opportunity to curb the inefficiencies caused by a bad system, by a bad processes, uh, look into a system where you don't have to spend an arm and a leg, uh, perhaps some OPEX spend, and then you're implementing an ERP system that allows you to be more efficient so that when you're coming out from the other end of this problem, you are you're more efficient at what you do and you can scale up quickly. Uh, so I think those would be some recommendations. And I, I totally agree. And, and I would summarize this statement in they should apply situational manufacturing. Actually, I think we are we're getting to the end of this now. I wrote down that I need to uh, read this this paper from uh, Harvard Business Review. This is something that I will do and that I recommend everybody to read who listens to this. One of the reasons for me to start this uh, Business Central Manufacturing show was because I'm curious to learn. And actually, in the last 20 minutes, I learned a lot from you, AJ. And so... Thank you very much for taking time today. This was really, really awesome. And I, I hope that this finds some listeners and that these listeners find it as insightful as I found it. So thanks a lot and take care and, and stay safe. Thank you, Martin. I, I'm humbled by that vote of confidence. I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed this conversation. 
And uh, I, I wish everybody uh, stay safe uh, with your friends and your families. And uh, you know, uh, I know this is this is a difficult period, but uh, I'm confident there's a light at the end of this tunnel that we'll all come out on the other side as HBR suggested roaring out of this recession. And the, let those be the final words. But once again, thank you for the opportunity. I've really uh, enjoyed being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Business Central Manufacturing Show. 